Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want to learn more about the experience of black parents in America? Listen to Natal. Natal is a podcast docuseries about having a baby while black in the U.S. They pass the mic to black parents to tell their stories of bringing new life into the world in their own words. The docuseries also highlights the birth workers, researchers, policymakers, and activists fighting daily for better care for black birthing parents. You can find Natal wherever you get your podcasts. Death, as mysterious as the wind, or those mysterious books in the library, the ones you're never old enough to read, making dark darker, death black ice too dangerous to walk on for it's impossible to know what the waters below hold. Just how dark and dangerous would it be to fall in? Hi, I'm Nalika Radway, and this is Raising Rebels, a podcast about oppressed parents raising free children. Rebel in the morning, rebel in the evening, too. Now, don't you be like a devil when I plead with sounds called a rebel, rebel, rebel. Today, I am joined by um, my good, good, good goods, um, Randy and Mikey, um, amazing people doing all kinds of amazing. Let me stop. I'm not going to tell the people. Randy and Mikey, tell the people hi. Hi. <laughs> um, they're podcasters too, so they already they already know what's going on here. Um, and I we like to start the podcast by asking, um. One word to describe how you're feeling right now. So, Randy, we'll start with you. What's one word to describe how you're feeling right now? I'm feeling seen. Seen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, listen. I, whoo, that's a whole word. I love it. Um, Mikey, how are you feeling right now? I'm actually feeling felt. Oh. Wait, what's going on in your house? Being You've been in having a real, a real good, uh, what, three days? Yeah. It's been, been a very serious three days. We've been through a a myriad of emotions and feelings. Conversations have been pretty deep. But also, oh oh, I found she, like, right touched me. You know? yeah, it's been good. It's yeah, you did. You caught us right, on, right in the feels, right? Oh, I love the, I love it. I love it. I'm feeling... I am feeling inspired by the two of you feeling seen and felt. I want all of it. That's how I'm feeling right now. Okay, let's start by telling the people about yourselves. Randy, you want to start? Okay. I know this question is coming and I never know how to answer it. Okay, I am Randy. (laughs) (laughs) I am a writer, podcaster, one half of the podcast host, Black Millennial Marriage. Um, I'm a content development assistant and... I love researching and reading. I love my baby and my husband. And I just want, I just want peace <laughs> mm-hmm. and revolution. And, and I really want to normalize. I'm passionate about normalizing telling, you know, and, mm. and transformative conversations. That was nice. I'm not even, I, listen, I, I'm like, we, we, we just started, but it's I good. Know. We're ready. I'm so ready. Guys, I'm going to meet you where you at. I'm about to meet you where you at. Let's go. Oh, Bring it. Um, my name you? is Mikey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, Nalika. Um, I am an, uh, I'm sorry, I am a I'm feeling a little frisky today. <laughs> I am a father you and husband. You, felt, you started, wait, I'm sorry. You started a podcast by saying you feel seen and felt. I am I do, having I a lot of things going on with me with that. Go ahead. Sorry. No. It's okay. okay. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I am a web developer and educator. Um, 
You said a lot of good things. I don't know how to follow up with that. Dude, it's not a competition. I am passionate about uh, bringing light to uh, healthy relationships and communication. Awesome. Tell us about your person. Our baby? Your baby. <laughs> well, Where do we start? Drew is... A character. <laughs> she is so much more than what I, I could even think up. She is 15 months, but she's super advanced. Her, her pediatrician. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's also I'm just the size saying. of a two-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah. She's so tall, and yeah. she's just, she's so empathetic, and and she has so much attitude and fire, mm-hmm. even though she's a water sign. And I'm just really mm-hmm. in awe of her. Mm-hmm. And, and like how her brain works, like you can see the wheels turning in. It's just mm-hmm. really inspiring me to to confront my own mess so that mm-hmm. I can be good to her. Yeah. yeah, she is. Um, she's super observant. Um, it's very obvious that she's paying attention to everything already. Yeah, which has definitely shifted my thinking yeah. and the way that I'm I'm acting and portraying. You know how I am around her because uh, I am extremely aware that she is. She's. <laughs> um, as Randy said, she's really smart. She's ah, I don't know. She's everything. I love my baby. Yeah, she's a rainbow. She is well, our tell baby. me. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, so tell me, what are you, like, where, where, what is something that you and Drew are dis- disagreeing about right now? Oh, my God. <laughs> what well, are we agreeing about? She disagreeing. Oh. We disagreeing. are disagreeing about, about when and where we're going to wear shoes. Mm-hmm. She always mm. wants to wear her shoes around the house. Don't know where she thinks she's going. Um, we're disagreeing about feeding the dog all of her food. Just for her to tell us at midnight she's starving. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we're disagreeing about, um, you know, she's very independent or she's asserting her independence. And that's fine. Except for when I want to hold her hand when we're walking <laughs> across the street and she just starts screaming as if I'm trying to murder her. Right. Um, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> she is disagreeing about uh, bedtime. Still, yes. I guess that's just something we gotta. It's we like she take. can tell we want to have sex. It's like she can tell, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and she's just like no. And so we all end up going to bed at two a.m. too exhausted to do anything. So yeah. And then she just kind of laughs to herself maniacally, <laughs> and I think she's really happy with uh with the distance that she's putting between Randy and I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no those are just some of the key things i can't think of anything else just other than that she's she's great yeah other than that she's great sounds fantastic well today um we're going to be talking about death and how we really like find the right balance between normalizing death because it's part of life and also like recognizing the pain and the hurt that comes with that level of loss. Um, And so when I was thinking about having this conversation with you two lovely people, um, something that came to me is like the memory of like someone who has passed and like what, like someone who like death that has happened And the thing that came to my mind is smell and this idea that like even people who have gone, like you could still smell them sometimes. And like that can be the strongest memory. Um, And so I asked you both to do a recollection and we do the recollections as a way to stay connected to who we were as children, um, because that's really the only way that we're ever going to be in a position to liberate our children is by recognizing who we were. And so I asked you both to do a recollection about um, a smell, a scent. Um, and I asked you to go as far back as you possibly can. And so who would like to start? I'll go. Go for it. So I tried to go back as far as I could, but and I did, but the memory that I'm going to talk about is from when I was 15 because it's it was the moment where I were sent was really powerful and no one believed me. <laughs> so um, I had just started dating Mikey and 
we worked at our old middle school and I knew he was in the building because I could smell him. And he doesn't work alone. He never has. <laughs> no. Um, every once in a while, my mother would get me like curve or like bod but for he Christmas. You know, when you're. <laughs> he doesn't wear it. But I could. He had this scent. And I could always tell when his granny was in town from New York because his smell changed. And at this moment, it was like his normal scent. But and I was talking to his his youngest sister. Uh, well, not youngest anymore since he has another one. But his one of his younger sisters. And I was like, your brother's here. She was like, how do you know? And I was like, don't you smell that? And she was like, Randy, you're crazy. <laughs> and I looked down the hallway. He was coming in from like the, the double doors of, of, the of the stairwell. And it was just very powerful to me because I had heard about, you know, chemistry and like smell being a thing when it comes to like somebody you're supposed to be with or somebody you love. But I had never experienced it. Um, but and and no one believed me. <laughs> like she was like, did he text you or something? Did he tell you he was coming? I was like, no, you don't. Like it was so it was so loud to me. Um, and and even now as an adult, now that we're older, he doesn't have the same smell. Um, and I don't know if that's just because we've aged and like maybe that's something you lose the older you get. But um, it was definitely very profound to me and definitely made me feel like I was right to think that Mikey was. A safe space and somebody I should be with. Mm. So yeah, I should have went first. <laughs> <laughs> should have went first. You she's, never she's feeling seen, so she's gonna show herself. I love it. I <laughs> a lot, a lot of what you just said. Thank That's you. Go ahead, go ahead, Mikey. Um. Okay. Well, I will take you back to 1998 before oh, God. I knew Randy. <laughs> though we did still live in the same neighborhood. We did. Uh. I um I was living in a neighborhood with my mother, my older sister, my little sister was just born, and my uncle was staying with us. And one of the scents that came to mind when I started thinking about this was uh, coconut milk. Uh, I am extremely proud of my West Indian heritage today. It was not always the case when I was younger. Um, friends would come around. They wouldn't really understand my family when they spoke. My mother... Uh, my sister and I are actually first generation in the United States. We were the first ones born here. So the accents are really thick with everybody yeah. <laughs> above us. Uh, we still have ours, but we can turn it on, turn it off. Uh, but my my uncle used to make porridge like every morning, like clockwork, this, this porridge. And I remember it had like a coconut milk base and it was disgusting. <laughs> it was as a kid, it was the most disgusting thing I had ever like smelled. But he let me taste it one time and it was delicious. And I always hate that I never like learned how to make it from him because I, I cannot recreate that smell. I don't know what all he put in it. Um, but if I think about it to this day, like I can still taste it. Uh, Randy often makes jokes about me since we moved to the South. I am like really anti grits and I don't know oatmeal how. and all those like foods that that taste pre-chewed. But like, like I miss me, <laughs> I miss like I miss porridge. He's stupid. And the thought of porridge, but um, no, that was that was definitely one of the the earliest memories I can remember. Um, it just it sets off my feels, yeah. Yeah, I never know what is going to come from these recollections, but both of yours got me all in my feelings. Um, <laughs> I know that smell you're talking about so. Well, that yeah. that cornmeal part on a Sunday morning when you had yes. yours. When, when you, no, well, he did it every morning. <laughs> I know those people. That was the start we of We didn't day. get it every morning. We got it on Sunday morning mm-hmm. and it was special. And that smell, I can smell it right now. Yeah. Um, the smell that came to mind for me was um, I know my grandmother's smell, which is like mm. a really... I didn't know that that's what the smell was until much like later. Um, but I can just, I don't even know how to describe it, to be honest with you. Like, it's just a very unique, particular smell. And it was like her house smelled that way. And the other thing that was interesting is like when she came into our house, the whole house would then smell yeah. like yeah. my grandmother. Um and I would, when when we would reach, like when I would get to, when, like I said, I didn't recognize it as much when I was younger, but I knew the smell. But as we got older and um, 
whenever I would come to my mother's house, I wouldn't. I knew she was there because I could smell her. I would walk, before we opened the house. I was like, "Oh, grandma's here!" Like I can smell her, and um, it's one of those things. She um, passed away. She died. Oh my goodness! When Glory was two, so that's crazy. It feels like yesterday, but that's like six years ago. Oh my goodness! That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, and. I feel like it's one of those things, like sometimes I can remember, like I, I know what my grandmother looks like, I know like what she sounds like and we have pictures, but the thing that's like outside that's just in my head that I have of her is that, is her smell. And every so often it's very rare, but like I'll go somewhere and I'll go in, like sometimes it's like that, I don't even know what that's called, but you can find it like that water, like it has a, um, it's not water, like you get it in, Sometimes you can get in like these like stores that sell Caribbean stuff. It's like this. I, I know that I can't think of the name of it, but I know I'll go about. into a store. You know what I'm talking about, though, mm-hmm. right? Like you go into these stores, you go into these places and it's like, I know this because it's a mixture of multiple things. And it's like my grandmother's smell. And it's just like I, I feel like she's with me. And um, when I'm thinking about like death so much of it is like the finale fine like it's final like it's just like i looked at the definition of the word and it was like ending done (laughs) and i don't i don't i don't normally think of death in that way right like i think of it as like part of a process and when someone or person dies like there's they're they're still with us in so many different ways like um that the movie why can't i remember this movie name it's the best it's like oh gosh what is it name with the little boy, it's um Day of the uh, Dead. Coco. Coco. Yeah. Oh, oh God, that's a movie so oh, good. Coco. Oh, so good. Um, Coco was so good. It really yeah, was. no, it really was. It was Mikey so cried. good. Man, look, you, you do not have to mention that every time. No. <laughs> my uh, my cousin so had just passed, and then we started watching that movie. And then with, yeah. because they they yeah. did such a great job of really like did. explaining and expressing like death and what it can be and what I feel like many ways it is. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was really like excited and happy to think about like the idea that smell is part of it. And so um I guess I want to st- like start by like just sharing stories, right? Like something that part of what I hope to talk to you about on a, like today is the death of your a child, right? Like, so you um, both have shared many times on your podcast and sharing it with us today here on Raising Rebels, um, the story of your miscarriage and how that impacted you. And so um, if you don't mind starting of like how, I guess like what is the death that you've experienced? Well, <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Well, God, two years ago, 2018, 2018, mm-hmm. yes, I got pregnant and it was a really big deal. We rode yeah. around the whole city and we told everybody we knew. We like drove to people's houses. <laughs> we, like, yeah, like we live in East Atlanta. We made our way. Everywhere. You know, we, literally. We, we literally scaled <laughs> Georgia and we, um, my mom was the last person I told, we told cause she was the last person to get home and, um. Mm-hmm. And everything was fine. I was working. Mike was working. It seemed perfect. And then I started um, spotting. Actually, I felt a snap. It literally felt like a snap. And I'm very intuitive with my body. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it it was so literal. Like, I literally heard it. And I went to the bathroom and I was spotting. And I was like, oh, my God, please, no. We had only known for about two weeks at this point. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and then the spotting got worse got really worse um and i ca- i remember calling the doctor and talking to an advice nurse and she was awful <laughs> she kept asking me all these questions and i was like i was like i i couldn't understand why she was being so um in my opinion mean and like mm-hmm. just just not um in tune with like what what i was trying to tell her was happening so she ended up giving me like this really late appointment and there was no way that, like, if anything was viable or could be saved, that I could save, you know, myself or or the baby if if at this with this appointment. I think she said it for like three days later. I can't even explain it. All I know is mm-hmm. Mikey called back, and suddenly people could see me 
you know, within an hour. And, yeah. you know. I, um, <laughs> I definitely made sure I scored the uh, the seriousness that we were feeling surrounding yes. it. Um, yes. But I was yeah. in the bathroom, so I didn't hear what he said. All I know is we was about to go in. And yeah, I was my like, tone mm-hmm. was not as happy-go-lucky as it normally is when we're having very fun conversation. Um, because mm-hmm. my wife has really tried to explain to you that she's, like, worried. And she was kind of mm-hmm. treating it like, you know, like, this is something that oh, medical professionals yeah, see often. So, uh-huh. yeah, yeah her, but her mm-hmm. nonchalant attitude mm-hmm. was not working for me. Uh, and it was like she was mad at me mm-hmm. for being Concerned? scared. Yeah. Like, you know, like I wasn't trying to do 20 questions. I was like, can you just get me Make in? Like, I don't I don't understand. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. after he got off the phone and told me we could go in, I told him, we, yeah, we really do have to go in because um, I the bleeding's worse. It was really bad. And so we got in mm-hmm. and. Two days before, actually, I was spotting and they gave mm-hmm. us an ultrasound and he said the baby was fine. But I could tell the nurse wanted to say something, but you could tell she was mm-hmm. told not to say anything. He did not. And the, the um, doctor was the one who told Randy yeah. she was fine. It was he was like, guy. everything's fine. It's just implantation bleeding. He gave us ultrasound. So we see that there's a real baby here, you know, and mm. then, I, then I started bleeding more and I went back in and they couldn't see anything. And it was it was really bad. Yeah, it was really bad. Do you want yeah. to describe? I guess I don't. Mike said I didn't speak the whole time. She I don't remember. Yeah, the the second <laughs> visit remember. we had a female doctor. Um, mm-hmm. and woman. Yeah, we had a woman. I remember this all too vividly. Uh, so she she pulled up the ultrasound and we were able to see the fetal pond. And this time there was no mm-hmm. little blip in there, and it was it was empty and. And they were confused. Like, didn't you know this? Like, you know, like it, it yeah. was like, but we were just here. Yeah, it was so bad. I don't. <laughs> so the doctor just kind of zipped up the gloves. She was like, she threw yeah, away so the ultrasound. Gonna... She like threw she the it took, printed, she printed it off. the picture and just threw it away. And threw it away. Then she just kind of like left the room so ready. She get said, dressed. "Come back if you find yourself standing in a pool of blood." Yeah. And I already felt like I was. I was like, "But I am." And she was trying <laughs> to describe like when it's more when this is when this is more of a problem essentially than like uh, if it doesn't stop and. Like well, I want to say yeah, part, um, yeah. part of the reason there's so many things we could talk about. Like, yeah, we are. Listen, there's so many things we can talk about around parenting and how you guys are aggressively trying to do it differently than it like you were raised and all of those things. But why I wanted to come in particular specifically and talk about your miscarriage and the death that you experience is because we are now living in this time of pandemic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what is going on is this normalizing of death. And as um, parents and of people who've who've experienced death, that may seem to others like very, oh, you're just like this percentage of pregnancies end. Um, I too have had a miscarriage um, right between moxie and glory like right there was a two two year like moxie and then um we got pregnant and um within very shortly after i found i was pregnant the pregnancy became unviable and i remember that same kind of like it was a fully i don't even think i heard a heartbeat or anything like that but it was a fully formed idea full person <laughs> in my heart and in my mind. And when we went back in to get like your normal ultra, like your normal um, sonic ultrasound, um, they didn't, they, the the fetus wasn't developing and like, this is not a viable pregnancy. And you know, I'm sorry. Hi, Glory. Hello, mama. Can you tell everyone what just happened? Um, well, it didn't just happen, it happened a while back. Okay. So, it was sleep overnight. Well, not with our friends. Um, no, that was... Not. So, um, sometimes we all like to go to Moxie's room. Mm-hmm. Me and Moxie's room. And all three of us go and we sleep in one big bed. Mm-hmm. Moxie's massive pull-up bed. Okay. So, and then we were, like, telling each other secrets. Mm-hmm. What sort of secrets and like embarrassing um, times in middle school, like and stuff like that. Okay. And um, so Blue was like, Mom once had 
was going to have a child. Yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the child wasn't me or Moxie. Mm-hmm. It was a different child. It wasn't Blue either. Blue's right born. Mm-hmm. It was a child. Mm-hmm. And then that child died in mom's stomach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, it wasn't a fully, like it wasn't. Yes, it, yeah, it, was, it was in a, one of the stages of becoming a baby. Yeah. Yes. I had a miscarriage. Yes, a miscarriage. So you came up with an idea. Now you want me to name the pregnancy? No, the baby. That would have been? Yes, the baby that would have been. You would like to name the baby that would have been? Yes, that baby. The sort of dead babe that was never really a baby. You know what I mean. Yeah. We're I'm, just going to call it a baby. Let's just call it a baby. Okay, we can call it a baby. Even though it wasn't I'm actually just, ever a, a baby. That makes sense. Um, I'm just curious of like why you want to name the baby that would have been. Because it died. And we need to honor it with respect. It has gone on too long that this baby has been without a name. Okay. Do you have any ideas of names? Oh, and Mama, first, um, well, um, I want to talk to my sisters about it if they mm-hmm. have any ideas. Okay. Because, yeah. All right. Yeah. But, Mama, what were your emotions when you figured out the baby had stopped growing and had not had died? That was, I was very sad. How sad? I mean. From a scale of one to ten. Ten. <laughs> like, more than ten. And it was like, I just found out I was going to have a baby. And then very soon after that, I realized they say, like, the pregnancy is not vi- viable. Meaning that they could tell that the baby, like, the pregnancy wasn't going to become a baby. And it died. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, the, the reason I don't usually, I don't think of it as died is because it never... Mama, we're just going to say it as died. Okay, it's simpler. Okay, okay. Because it fun. was a living life force. That's it was true. a life force. So a it technically force. did die. Okay. It, it was... did die. Okay, a life force. That's interesting. Let's name the life force. That that makes more sense to me. Yes, I want to name it. I obviously felt it was a life force because when I found out that it, that life force wasn't going to be... With me in the world, I was really, really, really sad. And I was what really... was Daddy's emotions? Um, it's interesting because when people mourn, like something sad happens, death especially or loss, people feel it in different ways. So I was feeling really, really, really sad about it, and I'm not sure how Papa was feeling about it at the time, but I know he felt differently, or we were mourning in different ways, and it was a place of a lot of um. It's hard when two people are sharing an experience, but they're experiencing it differently. So I think he was sad too, but a different kind of sad. Okay. So, um, but what was Blue feeling? Because Blue was born at the time. Not me and Moxie. Blue and Moxie, but they didn't know. I hadn't told them. You haven't? Did you tell them when the baby died? No. Mom! I know, I know. Mom! I didn't know. I know, but at the time, I didn't know how to talk to them about it. The- You're experiencing this this death, this loss, this, this, this something that feels huge to you. And everywhere else, including the doctor, the people telling you, is like, this is just regular, everyday shit. Yeah. And how do you balance or make sense of, like, the loss you're feeling that is so strong and the way that it's being normalized in the larger world. And that's kind of like why I'm, thank you so much for sharing your story, but what has come out of that for you? So I guess my first question is, how do you think that experience, that death has impacted how you are, like how you were raising true like what came from that experience and how does it impact how you live a life now with your baby girl Ooh. well you want to go i can i can go first. you go ahead um well it's obviously had a, a major impact on how we treat raise talk to do anything uh around drew mm-hmm. um the miscarriage with Randy actually it wasn't my first experience with a miscarriage um i had i've lost five children prior to marrying Randy wow. um and 
one of those it was a it was a pair of twins was a miscarriage and uh i have always walked around with like the guilt of of those children um i do not forget i am very much aware of when it happened um and i'm still saddened by it to this day i actually for a long time thought you know i was cursed like i would never have kids and i don't know and just walking around with that guilt and shame just kind of weighed heavy on me for a long time and then when it happened with randy it just kind of made things so much worse in my head um and so you know we are spiritual people i pray very heavily um especially over her especially over drew but all i wanted was like a chance like give me a chance to like really have a child and i swear like nobody will regret it that was just kind of like my attitude with it um same as when I married Randy. I was like, if you give me a chance, I'm going I'm to stumble, right? But <laughs> I'm going to love you. I'm going to do my best. And my best is going to look like something to you, I promise. And I'm still mm-hmm. trying. I still, you know, like slip up. But mm-hmm. with um with parenthood, like Drew didn't ask for any of this. She didn't ask to be born. She didn't ask to for, for any of what is happening around her. But I feel like it is our duty to, to be everything that we need to be for her. And so... Mm-hmm. And like in some spaces, I think that it's looked at as like we take it like maybe too seriously. But I don't think that you can take parenting too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you I, mean when you say you take it seriously? Um, we recognize like the fragility of life. Like it's here today, gone tomorrow is a thing. Um, I have seen death my entire life and it's it 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 can just happen, you know, in an instant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people who are who the people who are left behind in the wake of that are, you know, usually broken up by it. It's very, very sad by it. And there are also those people who are like, you know, like who have a different appreciation for life once they start experiencing something like that. And like, mm-hmm. you know, the person who has a near death experience and now they just kind of want to live differently. Um, mm-hmm. I have happened to have multiple near death experiences <laughs> along with a lot of like just loss in my past. And I just, mm-hmm. I'm just very serious about enjoying and loving and caring for what is happening today, tomorrow and mm-hmm. everything moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. And so my mm-hmm. passion is, is wrapped up in everything that is my wife and my child. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I got. Okay, so (laughs) you asked how the miscarriage um, impacts how we feel about Drew or how we raise her. How you raise her. I mean, I definitely feel that there was a mourning that happened with my miscarriage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that really I feel like, you know, only I experienced. I don't I mean, I don't know that Hamao, my partner, like he experienced his own loss mm-hmm. um but we weren't experiencing it at the same time together like we were we were having two different experiences and then i remember when i got pregnant with glory um it was surprising i know where babies come from but still <laughs> and i remember thinking you know the initial is like oh i don't i can't, i don't want to go through that again yeah you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to go through that. Then I, it, it was interesting. Like, I didn't go immediately to like, oh, there's going to be another human being person. I went immediately to like, I don't want another like, I don't want to experience that loss again or like mm-hmm. going through that experience again. And there's a way that it was a, like, I think I quietly learned. I quietly loved her, learned to love her. You know, like it was like it was apprehension until I maybe you crossed whatever threshold that felt like, okay, we're good. Um, And then it manifests its way in a, you know, in a different way. Like it definitely, um, I know that she is, that, that pregnancy is a big part of who she is. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like in ways that I don't always think about or I can't recognize. And I'm like, I know that mourning that loss is a big part of, how I raise her or what I allow for her. Where Blue was born, the the year I was pregnant with Blue, Hamaro's mother passed away. Mm. And a lot of their, like, I know his mourning and loss of his mom is, is lives in his relationship with Blue. Um, and it's hard, can be hard to see what it looks like. So I'm curious 
for both of you, that's kind of what the question is, is like, do and maybe you don't see it yet, but do you see any impact? And I think, you know, Mike, you described it so well of like this, this like recognizing like life is to be celebrated. And I imagine allowing her, Drew, to celebrate life. Um, and I'm wondering for you, Randy, if you notice, I mean, not by comparison, but just like where that mourning or that loss has shown up in how you're raising or how you interact with Drew. Yes, it definitely. Yeah, it definitely showed up in the pregnancy. I was very much afraid to move when I found out I was Mm. pregnant with her. I didn't do much of anything. I was and I had just lost my job and I was just like, I just, I I was very afraid. But one day I started spotting again and I didn't tell Mike. And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I'm actually not going to go through this again. And so I literally talked to Drew (laughs) from, it was 3 p.m. I talked to her from three to six. I fell asleep. I woke up and I kept talking. I was like, listen, let me teach you about character. <laughs> you don't get to go and come back. You know, you 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 have to stay here. And I literally, I shit you not, I literally felt my uterus rise. And from wow. that moment, I knew that like affirming Drew would have a positive impact on her because mm-hmm. she heard me, you know. Mm. And on the days where I was really positive or or just express gratitude, even despite my fear, I didn't have morning sickness. You know, I wasn't nauseous. I could eat, you know, and so I'm very conscious of that even now I don't want to project or pass down my fear or my anxiety to her because I I do have it um Mm -hmm. I sat in therapy for a whole year because I was like if I get to get this baby then I want her to be you know okay more than okay Mm -hmm. um I wanted Mm -hmm. I just feel really inspired to do all the things I wish the adults in my life did for me and you know I know in a I know in a lot of ways the adults in my life weren't always cognizant of what they needed to do um Mm -hmm. but i feel like one of the things they passed down in terms of raising me was self-awareness and so i have to be brave enough to be self-aware enough to like acknowledge my self-awareness and to see how like see how how that informs me raising drew and so when she falls i clap you know you know everybody falls it's okay you know i want her to be happy i want her to take up space i you know she gets little attitudes and tantrums but she's one i don't think baby girls get to be baby girls especially black mm-hmm. baby girls um i want her to feel like she can stand up for herself so yeah you can tell me how you feel you know mm-hmm. <laughs> even it's like even though there's currently a language barrier and so it's definitely um <laughs> absolutely it's definitely inf- I, I just wait really, till words come you're not ready you think that's you what, want the words that's you what my think mom said you want the words yeah. but when they hit you better be ready her face is ready. her face is listen her face just, is gonna get just her pray trouble. for us because already she got this little eyebrow art she does, but I, I just it. it just really made me mourning that loss really just made mm-hmm. me very grateful and and I understand like Mike said how soon things can just go and so I thank Drew all the time you know and she loves him like I you know thank you so much for today this was great I love sitting with you I just really want to affirm her and just mm-hmm. to express gratitude because everything that I had learned growing up in a Christian household or just in a Christian family was that you can't be angry at God. You can't be mad. You can't question. And if you do, you don't get blessings. But if that was true, we wouldn't have drew, you know, because mm-hmm. I had lots of questions and I was very angry Absolutely and, angry. and we still got this great baby, you know? And so mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. I just want to express gratitude. I'm just so thankful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, What part has been the hardest to heal about the loss? <sighs> no, Lika. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> what has been the hardest to heal? I want you. Hmm. I want to say. I mean, this 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 episode <laughs> is is flowing. Like, there's usually a lot. Um, I guess I want to say, like, a lot of times when I bring a conversation or I get to talk with parents, I like to think about the edges, like the places where we can all push to, like. You think you're doing this well and you probably are doing it extremely well, but where are the places where we need to stretch ourselves? But there's something about the time that we're living in right now as oppressed people, as black people, um, with this revolution that is happening in the world and this pandemic that is teaching us so much about ourselves. There's a way that 
I just think we need to check back in in the lessons. And so the reason I ask is that I feel as though there's going to be, there has been, and unfortunately will continue to be a lot of death. Yeah. And what happens, I think, with a like black folks, particularly in a, like we do the thing that you spoke to, Mikey, is like we, what could we do different? What is it within our control? And we go really quickly. It's like our relationship, I think, with spirituality and that thing of like feeling powerful, but also feeling like fragile that, well, is there something in me that's powerful enough to create death, you know, mm. cause death yeah. and also cause life. And like, where does all that bound, like where does all, and I imagine for so many black parents right now, they are making life and death decisions for their children every day. Should I send them to school? Should I keep them home? Should we go visit grandma? Should we not go visit grandma? Um, and I know that liberation doesn't come through fear. I know liberation yeah. comes through healing. And so I I mean, I really appreciate you both sharing. And that's why I asked the question of like, what has been the hardest to heal? Because it all has to be healed, right? It all has to be healed in order for us to get to what is meant for us, which is our freedom. And so what's been the hardest to heal from the death you experience? I, I was going to... Go ahead. Yeah. You, you touched on it on the on the tail end of what you were saying. It's that fear. Um, we're we're all aware that fear the can be debilitating, um, and that is a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. Fear kept us from taking a whole bunch of pictures when Randy was pregnant with Drew. Um, so mm-hmm. we don't have as much documentation as we would have liked. Fear kept us from talking about it for fear of you know this could be the thing that ends it. Maybe we shouldn't. Jinx it, yeah. you know, knocking on wood all the damn time. Like it's just we we were I don't know we were steeped in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Fear is is the number one thing right now that's kind of leading people's decisions. I, I'm afraid of missing out, so I'm going to go outside, and I'm afraid like you know like like things like that are it's something that I, that I'm struggling with, but I'm actively trying to fight. I'm afraid of doing something that will harm my family, but I also recognize that we need groceries, so. Y'all stay home. I'm going to go ahead and go out, but I will be masked mm-hmm. up, gloved up, hand sanitizer, lights all up. Like, that's just, that's going to be how I, how I move. And that's just my way of like combating that fear. But that is the, that's the number one thing that I am struggling with. Um, But I'm trying to actively be brave every day. And, and like you said, figure out how can I, like, what can I do? Because there is something, something that I can do. And, I should just try mm-hmm. something like that's just kind of my way of being brave, I guess, in the face of this fear. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's there. It's there every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I I am still mourning how I was treated during the miscarriage. Mm-hmm. It took 11 days to completely like expel the baby. And mm-hmm. I worked the whole time. I wasn't given time off. Um couldn't afford time off and mm-hmm. I just felt a lot of guilt about I sh- you know I got pregnant so like you know I shouldn't have got pregnant and you know I just I, I was I just felt very guilty and I was so angry um that I endured all that mess at that job just to be let go you know and, to, and mm-hmm. you know to get pregnant again and it I'm mourning like how much I didn't advocate for myself how much I let guilt derail me you know guilt that wasn't mine you know Mm -hmm. um and so I'm I think about that a lot with Drew I want her to be so much better than me at that you know no pressure I hope but I just want her to to know to like speak up for herself and to be so that nobody can confuse her I was confused a lot during the miscarriage and Mm -hmm. during the pregnancy you know because half the world is saying don't tell anyone your intentions and your Mm -hmm. and your you know the good things are people could be praying against you and the other half is mm-hmm. like live your life and you know and celebrate but um and there's no real conversations about grief and it's it's 
even though it's normalized no, yeah. or like even though it happens so much it's like actually mm-hmm. talking about grief in the process is not really a thing and even my doulas were like you have to make space for drew whenever i would talk about my grief and i knew that they were well-intentioned but i didn't understand why two mm-hmm. things couldn't be true like why is me mourning this mm-hmm. baby not also me like i can't i can't make space for drew if i can't acknowledge that i'm scared you know or exactly. that i'm worried um Mm-hmm. You know, or you know, you know, so I'm I'm definitely still mourning that. Um, it's really hard for I, me. So much of what you're saying, so much is of what you're saying, um, I think is happening for a lot of parents right now. Um, and I guess the first thing I would say is like more when you you describe it as like mourning the things that you wish happened differently, the wish, the things you wish you did differently, and just recognizing how much of all of that is tied to white supremacy and beyond your not even beyond it happened to you do you know what i mean like i understand that miscarriages happen in pregnancy but how you are treated how we value those pregnancies how we think about those that 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 experience you're having as a woman and how you feel about it is something that is within a society's control and we're making choices about it, which is like, it doesn't matter. And I think similar, you know, I am so concerned and worried about the guilt and the blame that black parents are going to put on themselves if and when black children, you know, begin to like, die as a result of this virus of this pandemic but not like of but really not even because of the pandemic because of the sh- the unwillingness to protect us you know the unwillingness yeah. Yeah. of our government of our community of the like our our society to value our lives and to protect us and that we will then go and blame ourselves when actual in actuality, it is not our. We're not. Those are not real choices. Are you going to feed your kid and go to work or not? That's not a real choice. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, are they going to go to school? That's not a real choice. Like, cho- like you have been put in this un like unimaginable, unreasonable, ridiculous, upsetting, hurtful um, position. We all have. And it, there's another way. There's another better way. There's another better way um, that we could be in community around death. That happens, right? Like death is a part of life. It happens. We all gonna die. Like that's just that's what it is. We all, everybody, we all gonna die. That's 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 for sure. And yeah. our relationship with that death is so fraught because we don't get to talk about it from a place of. I wouldn't I wouldn't even say celebration, but from a place of understanding, Do you know, and like from a place of like understanding. Um, and so, you know, I want to thank you both for coming and, and sharing this incredible experience. And I, I guess I, I just want to wish for you both like understanding um, around this idea of like death and these experiences. Um, are there things you feel like you understand about death now that you wouldn't have or didn't prior to the miscarriage? Yes. Yes. I, um, after we miscarried, I was like drunk for seven days. And in between that time, <laughs> I read like two books and I reread The Shack and then I read Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, um, which was written by, I want to say he's a priest who had lost his son. But essentially, I learned that, you know, God mourns too, you know, and that really mm-hmm. helped me, that really helped me call it, call the miscarriage what it was because I was angry and then I was sad because it gave me comfort to know that God is sad too. Like, this is unfair. It is unjust, you know, and and so I think that when it concerns death, we don't 
we, you know, especially at funerals, you'll hear like, you know, God wanted them home. And, you know, you hear all this stuff that's supposed to make you accept that death is that this has happened. But mm-hmm. what if we were told, yeah, God thinks this sucks, too. And yeah. I really believe that yeah. because I don't think that my feelings would have been so real and profound if it wasn't true. You know, mm-hmm. where did these feelings come mm-hmm. from? And so that's one thing that mm-hmm. I understand about death now. Mm hmm. A good friend of mine writes these books called Ordinary Horrible Things, Ordinary Terrible Things for Children. And one of the one of her books is called Death is Stupid. Mm. And it's so good because it just talks exactly about what you're saying is like, no, this sucks. (laughs) You know, like you don't have to put a bright smile on it. You don't have to be at a higher place with it. Like, no, this really sucks. And other things suck too. And we like have those experiences, we learn from them and then we we move on and they impact how we live our lives um, versus having to squish it. <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. you, there's no space for that. And it can last for a long time, that sucky feeling. Like there's no end to it. It will come back up. When I, you know, my grandmother went through hospice which is was the most amazing experience i you know that's how i want to go you know like it was just this like i didn't even know that this was a thing and how it would work but she died in my mother's house with my children around her and it was the most um, like transformative whole sweet hard you know all of the feelings in one experience that i know like isn't usually the case right someone's in the hospital and they're closed off from you or you don't and i was like oh this is what death is supposed to like feel like yeah it's supposed to feel like all of those things and it's supposed to it's supposed to be good for the person who's dying too they're supposed to be in community yeah um and I didn't, I didn't know that before that experience, before that death. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't have that for my own miscarriage. I didn't have that when Hamara's like mother died, and other people that we know who have died. And um, yeah. So that has been really helpful. What has, what have you learned, or have better understanding about as a um, result of experiencing death? Mikey. From from this specific death, because it was unique because of our circumstances and, again, my mindset at the time, I have learned that um, it's okay to feel um, instead of trying to escape or, or avoid fix. my feelings or fix. Because <laughs> there are some things that you just, you have no control and some things you just, you can't. There's, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Um Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. when when dealing with deaths in the past, when there was nothing I could do, I always resorted to process, like some form of escapism. Some I don't know. I'm a drink. I'm a just pray real quick and move on, and just kind of and and these things present themselves later in life as yo, this really actually affected you in a, in a big way, and you kind of glossed over it. Um, so mm-hmm. allowing myself to like sit and feel what I needed to sit and feel uh, with this loss, it was it was different. And so I have adopted that. I got that from her. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, stop trying to, like, just move on. Just, like, feel Mm -hmm. it. And and that's definitely affected who I am to my daughter now. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, all right, Mm -hmm. we're going to sit with this. We're going to just, we're going to (laughs) actually process what's going on right now. And use your words and share what you're feeling. Um, Because I think that you should learn that at a young age. I really wish that I did. And um, so, yeah, yeah, that's my lesson. Thank you both so Thank much you. for Thank sharing you. your story. I've been asking people what has, what is, because like, you know, I think it's important. What is the lesson that Corona has taught you? And are there any lessons? Um, Corona has taught me that like family is everything. Mm-hmm. Like this is like, we are rich. And y'all, you know, you've talked to us. You know that we ain't always thought that (laughs) 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 that we (laughs) that is not a belief that we have had. But um, since the pandemic and we've been all forced to stay home and our bosses, Mm -hmm. you know, have implemented these work from home structures that make it work for Mm -hmm. us with our kid. I'm just like, I'm so blessed. You know, I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful that I get to see Mikey and Drew all the time, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's this is not what I imagined 
in like a good way like it's, it's like yeah. beyond my like wildest dreams to be so in tune with with drew's growth and mikey's growth as a father um mm-hmm. it's been really like i'm just like i'm so grateful so i just try to remember that even as my anxiety mounts with all these deaths and yeah. covert related and revolution related and i just try to remember yeah. that that it's like we're okay right now so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i feel the exact same way randy just took my answer um <laughs> And this is what happens when you don't go first. You're so in sync. You're so she's feeling seen. You're feeling felt. That's gonna happen. You're so yeah. in sync. Yeah, but I mean, I I don't know. On top of that, I've learned yeah. that like we really do have all we need. Um, do a lot. We did a lot of wanting prior to the world shutting down. Um, and mm. we recognize that it's a lot of stuff that we just actually have don't been need. able to do without. None needed. Completely unnecessary. <laughs> so. Um, just being able to look to my left and my right and be like, you know, I have all I need right now. Actually, this is this is this is oh. good. Um, that has that was very transformative because that was again not the case um, yeah. in in January of this year. Right. Well, yeah. that feeling that you guys have going on in your house, you brought it to this right here. I'm feeling it. I'm all it's all warm inside my whole body. I'm like, <laughs> woo. this child listen thank you guys so much i'm so excited that i get to like know you and like be in community and family with you forever and ever um so thank you for being on raising rebels thank Thank you you for having us in your space you know i love the show so thank you so much (laughs) um we love you too all right bye 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 stand up fussing and fighting Being in Amsterdam has allowed our family the time and space to mourn. Like so many other people, we have lost loved ones to this time of pandemic. Christabel was our babysitter. She took care of my girls when I couldn't. She fed them. She played with them. She sang to them. She dressed them. She laughed with them. She kept their secrets. She hugged them. She loved them. And we miss her terribly. I found out that Christabel had died over Facebook, which I think is common during this time. Hearing these things through social media or a phone call because we're not able to see each other as often as with as much ease as we were before. And as soon as I found out, I had to make the decision of how we're gonna share the news with the girls. And we decided to do it right away. And so I called them all into our bed and we cuddled up and I told them, Christabel died. They cried and they try to understand to the best of their ability And they try to feel all of their feelings. And we just sat together for a very, very long time until we were ready one by one to move from that space. We're still mourning and we will mourn for a long, long time. And we're also finding ways to celebrate her memory and her life and to make sure that we keep her close to us.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 